Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And uh, we pray now that as we consider what you say to us in your word, that you would be at work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, Use the words that I say, I pray, to make your word more clear and its implications obvious. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Uh, I I want to engage you in a little exercise as we get started to illustrate, I guess in a sense, the the craziness with which many of us live our lives. So uh, if you've got a bulletin there, I know mine looks a little bit different to yours, and if you've got a pen or a pencil, if you brought a pen or a pencil with you, that's great. I want you to get that out. If you don't have a pen or a pencil, that's fine. You can do this using your imagination. Um, Here's what I want you to do. Um, take your pen or pencil and uh, just press it down on the paper so that you've made a little dot, okay? And now from that dot where you're holding your pen, draw a line. doesn't matter how long the line is, really. (laughs) Now you can put your pen away if you want to. (laughs) So what... What you've just drawn, I want you to think of it like this. The line that you have, that represents eternity, okay? Uh, If your page was bigger, the line could go on and on. The dot at the beginning of the line, where you first put the pen on the paper, that little dot represents your life now. From From the time that you're born through the 70 or 80 or however many years you live. That's the dot. Now, here's what's kind of insane about the way that we live. Very often we live as if the dot was the only thing that mattered in life. Um, I reckon most of us who are here in church certainly believe that the line exists, otherwise we probably wouldn't be at church. Um, Most of us probably actually think that line is important But the way in which we live from day to day is more often about the dot and cramming as much as we can into the dot. We tend to make the dot the organising principle for our lives. We plan our lives around the dot and all of our attention is focused here on this tiny little dot. But that's crazy, isn't it? Because if there really is a bigger reality, if there is an eternity, um, uh, something that is more solid and more real and more full of life than our experience here in the dot, surely what's coming there ought to be shaping our plans for today. It should be influencing how we live in the dot. I want to say if you've got that into your head, then you've actually grabbed hold of one of the really um, central ideas in this part of the book of Hebrews. It's something that we've seen again and again in these recent chapters. So you might remember um, a couple of weeks ago, chapter 11, the chapter about faith, that long list of Old Testament believers, men and women who lived by faith. And you might remember Kamal said something along these lines. Their life, so the faith for them was all about this. They organised their life now in light of the future that God had promised. Same idea, isn't it? 
they lived in the dot based on what they were looking forward to in the line. It was in chapter 11. Last week when Burn was preaching, beginning of chapter 12, we see the same thing again. So it said, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. You could rewrite that to say, For the sake of the line set before him, Jesus endured the hardship and the shame of the dot. He organised his life in the now around what God had promised for the future. So we get to Hebrews chapter 12, the second half of it, and the message is essentially the same. There is something better for everyone who has bet their life on Jesus, for everyone who has said, it's not going to be about me anymore, I'm going to trust Jesus as my saviour, the one who died, the mediator of the new covenant, I'm, I'm going to pin my hopes on him. For everyone who's done that, there is a, a better hope, there is a better future, um, a better finish. And as we come to this part of chapter 12, that same idea is picked up again, but here the imagery that we've spoken about already this afternoon is that of a better city. Not that city, necessarily. And he says in this passage, if you really are a part of this better city, make sure it is making a difference to the way you live now. Okay, the line needs to be making a difference to the way you live in the dot. But here's the key thing about uh, this passage. It says, make sure you do that not in a token way. Don't be kind of relaxed and laissez-faire about this. Make sure you go really hard after that. Make this so important to you that everything uh, gets organised around it. So verse 14, it says, make every effort... Don't leave any stone unturned in this. This has got to be so important that you do everything for it. Why would you make every effort? Well, uh, there are two reasons really in the passage that I, I want to talk about this afternoon. Uh, first of all, you make every effort because you really do belong to something better. So that's the comparison <clears throat> that's going on in verses 18 to through to 24. Uh, the second reason that's spoken about, so verses 25 through to 29, and we'll deal with this one much more briefly, is that this is God who we're talking about, a relationship with the living God, and you just don't mess around with God. So let's think about that first reason. Let's think about this idea of the better city. So verses 18 to 24. I want you, uh, if you can, have your Bible open and be looking at this. Verses 18 to 24. As you look at it, you'll see that the writer's making a comparison. So he's saying, not this, but this. Okay, You haven't done this, but you've got this instead. And what he's doing, he's taking one of the defining moments in the history of God's Old Testament people, the people of Israel. So this is the time in the book of Exodus when they had escaped from Egypt under Moses' leadership. They'd gone through the parted waters of the Red Sea and God had gathered them together, hundreds of thousands of them, remember, around the, ba the base of Mount Sinai. And uh, God kind of appeared to the people of Israel. Uh, there was thunder and fire and Moses was sent up the mountain where God gave him 
the commandments and the laws for the people of Israel. Now, that moment in history was a defining moment for the people of Israel. It was an earth-shattering moment, a big, big moment. The writer of Hebrews is taking that and he's comparing it with the even better and even more brilliant reality that now belongs to them through what God has done in Jesus. So he's saying, if you're a Christian, it's not just a, a sacred mountain that you've come to, okay? not a mountain that you can touch, you can see burning with fire. Verse 18, he's saying, no, what's happened through Jesus is this, you have now come to something even better. Okay, you have come to the heavenly dwelling place of God, to the eternal Mount Zion. You've come to the city above all cities, the eternal city. The comparisons go back and forth. So, not a place of terror and fear or darkness and gloom, but a city of joyful celebrations, constant festivity. He says, verse 23, this is a place now where you've got access to the living God where you're enrolled alongside heavenly beings and you get to share in their splendour. Do you see the comparison? The writer's saying, Sinai is awesome, no doubt about it. But what you've been given now in Jesus is much better than that. That kind of looking forward to something better is something that we saw in chapter 11. And we see it again picked up in the language in chapter 13. Okay, have a look at chapter 13, verse 14. This is the last time the city imagery is mentioned. Um, it says, for here, and I take it that as we read that, that includes us. So it, whether it's 1st century or 21st century, this still applies for us today. Reminds us, here we do not have an enduring city. No matter what city, no matter what part of the world you were born in, if you go back in history, it wasn't anything like it is today. And if you go forward in history, it's, it's going to be very different. We do not have an enduring city here, but we are the people who are looking for the city that is to come. There is something better to come. A better city is the way it's described here. Uh, a better reality. Um, it's interesting, the story of the Bible begins with God creating people and they're placed in a garden. It ends with God gathering his people together in a city. There is this better city to come and that we already belong to through Jesus Christ if our trust is in him. And the writer's saying, make sure you're looking forward to that city. Now, he's not saying, give up on this city completely. Um, there's plenty about this life that is a glorious gift from God and we're to receive it with thankfulness and enjoy what God's given us. But compared to what God has in store for us, it's just a tiny dot. What happens in that dot really does matter but it matters more and it makes more sense when we realise that what we do in the dot of this life, in this city, ought to be done with our hearts firmly fixed on the eternity that's to come, the city that is to come. 
So it means as we live here in Sydney, in Epping, we live as people who belong to that city. We're citizens of of that heavenly city. We live by the values and the hopes of that city within this city. People whose life in the dot is overwhelmingly influenced by our commitment to the line. Now, how you live that way is kind of what verses 14 to 17 are about. The writer is saying, because it's true that you have this better hope, this better future, this better city ahead of you, here's what you need to do. Because this is true, here is what you need to do. Verse 14. Make every effort to be holy. Sorry, I shouldn't have skipped ahead. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Verse 16, that no one's sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights. That's what we're to do. That, that's kind of the instructions for how to live as someone who belongs to that city still to come. He's saying, even though you're living right now in the dot, make every effort to live a life that is defined by the reality of the line. So specifically, verse 14, a life where your relationships are characterised by peace instead of conflict. Because think about it, that's what our life in eternity is going to be like, right? God has gathered together all his people, he's removed from us all sin, We're united as brothers and sisters together in in this great harmony. So live that way now. Live by the self-sacrificial cross-shaped values of the city of God. And that, that kind of means that the way in which you live now is that you deliberately go hard after what is going to be good for other people. That's the values of of the better city. The values of our own city these days, I mean, people appreciate it when you do stuff for other people, right? But the message that we keep hearing again and again is make every effort, be single-minded about getting what you want for yourself, what you need for your family. Even if that causes conflict. Living by the line requires something different. And when we get to chapter 13, the writer is actually going to flesh out some really practical examples of what it means to live at peace with one another. What we need to do now, though, is turn our attention to the other main part, and this is the main part of the passage we're looking at in verse 14. So not only live at peace, but especially make every effort to be holy. Why? without holiness no one will see the Lord we need to be absolutely convinced of this holiness is not an optional extra you have to make every effort to be holy God does not save us so that we can thumb our nose at his way of doing things 
Now, you might be thinking, well, how does that work? Is that saying then that I have to make every effort to be holy because that is what's going to save me, my effort to be holy? Well, no, that's not quite how it works. Uh, Let me take you back to chapter 10, verse 10, a little bit earlier in the book of Hebrews. Um, There it tells us that if we've turned to Jesus, put our trust in him, then we've also been changed by Jesus. So chapter 10, verse 10 says, We have been made holy, not through anything that we've done, not through our effort. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So through his death, we have been made holy. We have been given Jesus' own holiness to count as our own. That's an amazing gift. It's changed who we are. And so what the writer is saying, I think, when we get to chapter 12 is because that's true, because this is your new and true identity, an identity that's going to be fully revealed in in the better city that's still to come, because this holiness is the eternal identity that you have along the length of the line, what that means is that holiness, living in a holy way, um, purity, godly choices, living for the glory of God above everything else, that ought to be what we're going hard after right now as we live here in the dot. Why? Because that's who we are. That is our identity, so let's live it out now. In fact, let's make every effort to be holy. That little phrase, make every effort, there is an intensity and an urgency about that. I think the English translation captures it well, but uh, but I want you to see just how urgent and how intense it is. So let me me ask you to imagine that you are with my friend Shah. So that's him up on the screen. He's the, the guy in the middle, daughter and wife either side. Um, not at the time that this photo is taken, though. We're going back to December 1979. He's a young man at home with his mother in Kabul, the capital city of Afghanistan. Uh, there's a commotion outside. And the next thing you know, Shah's mother is telling him that there are Russian soldiers going from house to house. And there are Soviet tanks moving up the street. You're a young man at this time, 21, 22 years old. You take a peek out the window and you see the evidence. People dead in the street who you've known. The Soviet army is coming to wipe out any potential resistance through men enlisting against the Soviet army. So what do you do in that situation? I mean, that, that's a situation where there is plenty of urgency. Shah, who I got to meet in Germany a couple of years ago, the father of Yasmin, who stayed with us as an exchange student, he was a young guy of 21, 22, and he was told by his mother that he just had to run. This was his only opportunity now to get out. So he grabbed his papers, he grabbed a bit of money and he ran that day. He ran out across the rooftops. He ran as fast and as far as he could. He made every effort to get 
beyond the border of Afghanistan. For him, there was no opportunity for goodbyes. There was no chance to kind of, well, how about I stay home and wait for Dad and my brother and we can all go together? No, it had to be right then. In fact, it was something like 27 years before he saw any of his family again. And what we need to realise is it's the same kind of urgency being expressed in verse 14. Since we belong to this better city, we need to make every effort possible to live a life of holiness, of obedience to God, of love for God, a life focused on bringing glory to God. And that's not something, that, I mean, the way it's expressed here makes it very clear. It's not something that you can just choose to work on three days a week and that's enough. It's not something that you get to take a holiday from. You don't get an exemption from living this way on the days when you wake up with a runny nose and a sore head. As if, you know, to say, well, I'm crook. I can't put in the effort today. I'm just going to be grumpy and treat people badly. This is something that we do all the time. It doesn't say, make an effort when it's convenient for you. Make an effort when it won't interrupt your plans. It's every effort. No stone unturned. To live always for the glory of God. Now, if you're a Christian and and God's Holy Spirit is at work in you, I suspect that somewhere in your heart there is this thing going... Yeah, actually, that is what I want to do. I do want to live for God's glory. I wish I could. But I struggle with that. I can't do it. It's not easy. And you're right, it's not easy. We need help. We need God's grace. So where do we get help? Well, God's spirit living in us is part of it. But there are two things that stand out for me in the passage about how we get help to do this. Um, First... And just briefly, because we talked about this in in some of the earlier chapters, we need to remember that this is not something that we do on our own, okay? The, The battle for holiness is not something that you are supposed to be fighting on your own. It's a strong emphasis through these chapters that the only way this works is when we help each other with following Jesus. I think that's what verses 15 and 16 are talking about when they say... See to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it that no one ends up like Esau. What do I mean? Well, you've got to remember, this is not a letter that was originally written to an individual person, giving them instructions that they had to look after all these other people. It was a letter written to a church. This is an instruction for the congregation to look out for each other. It's kind of like what we saw in chapter 10, remember? We are all to be involved in spurring one another on toward love and good works. So you can't read that and go, well, that's the job of the elders or that's the job of the minister. The see to it that no one misses the grace of God, that no one becomes like Esau, is an instruction to all of us. So we get help from each other. Secondly, we get help especially by remembering who we are, by reminding each other that we should be fixed on the better city that is ours through Christ. 
I think that's kind of the point of the reference to Esau in verses 16 and 17. Okay, don't let anyone end up like Esau. What happened with Esau? Well, he was a tragic story, a tragic case of someone who chucked it all in, in a sense. In fact, if it wasn't so tragic, I'd say he's actually a comic illustration of someone who was so focused on the dot, the moment right there, that he threw away, he, he couldn't care less about the line. Let me remind you of the story. Um, Esau, you remember, is the twin brother of Jacob. So he's the son of Isaac, who was the only son of Abraham. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Abraham. Kamal reminded us, uh, early on in the story of the Bible, God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to make a promise to you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you. Um, all, you are going to be the father of a great nation and through your descendants, the whole world is going to be blessed. In fact, your descendants will be more than the grains of sand on the seashore. Abraham gets to the age of 100 and he's still got no kids. And then God gives him a son, Isaac, his one son through whom this promise is going to be affected. And Isaac then has twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And because Esau is born just before Jacob, Esau is going to be the one who inherits God's blessing. Anyway, uh, you read about it in, in Genesis one day when Esau had been out hunting, which means, uh, remember this, he's not a kid anymore if he's out doing this. He's old enough to understand the importance of his inheritance. One day Esau comes in from hunting and he says, I'm starving, give me something to eat. Now, it just so happens that Jacob, his brother, has got a pot of stew on the stove. And Jacob says, sure, I can give you some of my stew if you give me something in return. Sell me your birthright. Esau says, sure, no problem. I mean, what good's a birthright if you're about to die from starvation? And the deal's done. From that point on, Jacob gets the inheritance. You've got to ask yourself, don't you? At that particular moment, what was Esau's heart fixed on? Was he fixed on the line or on the dot? Was he fixed on the better city, the promises God has made? Or was he fixed on the city of his own stomach? It's kind of comical. You know, that for a single meal, that's what verse 16 says, for a bowl of red lentil stew that is going to satisfy his hunger for probably less than 24 hours, he trashed his future, the future that God had promised. And what the writer to Hebrews is saying is, we need to keep an eye on each other. We need to watch out for each other's spiritual well-being to make sure we don't do the same thing as Esau. To make sure the people around us don't have their eyes fixed so firmly on the, the city of now that they trade in the pleasures of now for the, the hope of the city that is to come. It's not just the job of the elders or the minister, it's something we all do together. We need to examine ourselves about it too. What are the things that your heart's fixed on? Is it your children? 
sport. No one's fixed on the Australian cricket team anymore, I suppose. Uh, is it achievement at work, your reputation, another person who you love, music? None of those things really are bad things in and of themselves. In fact, red lentil stew is not a bad thing. I quite enjoy a good red lentil stew. Dal. But the trouble is when we're so fixed on the dot, when we're so fixed on the things that are not enduring, we diminish what it means to be people who belong to that eternal city, the better city. And that gets smaller and smaller in our view and in our hearts and we begin drifting further and further away until eventually we wonder if we ever really believed that, ever really belonged to that. So one of the reasons we make every effort is because we really do belong to a better city. That's the first of the two points. The good news is the second point's much, 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 much shorter. Uh, let's look at verse 28. This reminds us of something else that is really important and true. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let's be thankful and so worship God acceptably and I think that means through every part of our life, it's not just confined to an hour on the weekends, worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. That's the result, a life in the dot that's changed by the fact that we belong to this future. But also because this is to do with God, you know, the reverence and awe part. Uh, verses 25 to 29 are all about that. While it's great to be fixed on a better city, we've got to remember um, that we are in a relationship with God himself and you just don't mess about with God. To illustrate that, I want you to imagine that you are newly engaged to be married. What would happen if your fiancé said to you, oh, I'm so pleased that we're engaged. I'm so looking forward to being married to you. It's making me so happy to, to think that we'll spend the rest of our lives together. It's wonderful. The thing is, though, since I'm technically still single, um, I just want to keep on dating other people as well. And, uh, in fact, I'll probably spend a lot of my time hanging out with them because they're really fun. <laughs> But I'm still really looking forward to, I'm sure our marriage is going to be great. We'll spend the rest of our lives together, won't we? You wouldn't put up with that in a relationship, would you? How is it then that we think it will be acceptable to God to act like that? Verse 29 reminds us our God is a consuming fire. So don't live as if the dot is the only thing that matters. This is God who you're in a relationship with. And he has promised you so much more. Just think, what, what is it that God has prepared for you? You know, we see it in these verses. It says, you've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to, you belong to the, the city of the living God, to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Look at what God's prepared. Look at the lengths to which he's gone to ensure that you will share in his joy. 
he gave up his beloved son for you. That's how important this is to him. So don't mess around with God. Don't hang back at the edges of following Jesus. Don't kind of date the world behind God's back. Instead, make every effort to grow to be more like Jesus. Let's do this together. Let's run hard. Let's help each other stay focused. Let's remind each other of the better city that we belong to and our better future so that we live our time in the dot as people who have been changed forever by the line that's ahead. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we, uh, we thank you for your mercy to us. We thank you for saving us, though we don't, haven't done anything to deserve that, that kindness. And thank you that that includes us into this great and wonderful city that is still to come. That in a sense we have already now even entered into that. We've come to the city of the living God. So please help us to remember that, to be fixed on that as we live our life now. We pray that our life now will be shaped by the values and the joy and the the way of living that is the way of that city. Even if that makes us stand out in the crowd. We pray that we will not be people who are two-timing you. That we won't mess you around. But that together we'll help each other make every effort to live in peace with all people. To pursue holiness. For we know that without holiness, none of us will see your face. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.